How are your New Year resolutions going? Right about now is the time of the year where most of us start giving up, right? That's a little painful. Why do we got to talk about that tonight, Joey? Um, Sometimes it can be really difficult to stay faithful to these plans that we've made. I'm right there with you. I tell myself every single year, this is my year to grow my legs. Um, I don't know if you know this, but you probably can tell by now, I have really skinny calves, right? And every year I tell myself, this is it. I'm going to work out in the gym and I'm going to get bigger legs. And I just, for whatever reason, just can't stay faithful with it. The youth group kids love to tease me about this, right? I hear it all the time. I get photos like this sent to me. That is a giant truck with really small wheels on it. I give my life to these kids, and this is what they send to me. Every year, I start really strong, and I'll be in the gym, and I'm working out legs, and all of a sudden, I'll just start to hear this whisper. Look at the dumbbells. Don't they look lonely right now? And I'll be like, get behind me, Satan. Like, where is that coming from? And then I'll hear another whisper, and it's like, You wear pants 70% of the year. No one cares about legs. Go work out your arms. Do a couple of curls. Next thing you know, I'm doing a full-on arm workout, right? I just have such a hard time staying faithful to the plans that I've made. And I think you and I have a hard time staying faithful to God. We know the way that he has called us to live. And we know searching for things apart from him will only lead to pain. But we end up looking for things that won't truly satisfy. We hear amazing messages all the time. And I don't know about you, but I'll be sitting in this room and I'll hear something. And I'll say, all right, I'm going to be different because of this. Maybe it's a message about anger. And I'm told myself, right, I'm not going to be angry. I'm not going to let my family um, feel that anger come out. And we don't even make it into the parking lot because the kids are fighting with each other. And I've already lost my cool a little bit. Some of you know what this is like. You told God, if you just forgive me this one time, I will never do that thing ever again. And what happens? The next day you're doing that thing you just promised God you would never do ever again. Sometimes we have such a hard time being faithful. And in this series, we've been talking about our inner narrative and how we all have one. And in this series, we found that most of the time, our inner narrative is negative. And if you are a Christian in the room, the loudest voice in your life should be God's word. But for some of us, all we do is hear negative thoughts over and over again. And there, is, there shouldn't be any wonder in our mind why we are failing so much. Because if you are constantly thinking negative thoughts, you are going to fail. I heard a pastor tell a story recently. He was with a high-profile athlete before a game, and the athlete had asked him to pray for him. And so the pastor said, yeah, of course. And he just prayed God's peace all over his life. He prayed that he'd be able to play at the best of his ability and just gave him a couple more promises from God's word. And as soon as the prayer was over, the pastor looked at the athlete and said, all right, What thoughts are going through your mind right now? And the athlete looked at the pastor and said, I'm the king of the jungle. And the pastor was like, not exactly what we were going for. He was able to take God's word and translate it into action. But this isn't just self-help what we've been talking about in this series. 
It's the power of God's word. And that changes everything in our lives when we can apply it to our daily walk. And we've seen that when we apply God's word, it can change our inner narrative on our worth, on fear, and on temptation. And a couple more. Because this is so powerful. And I pray that you would see how amazing God's word truly is to change the things in your life that you have been stuck in for far too long. And the inner narrative I want to talk to you about tonight is failure. And I think this might be the hardest one to get past. I'm walking with a bunch of people right now who have failed in some ways in their life, and it is so hard for them to see a life beyond their failure. That memory of what they did plays over and over again, and it's so hard for them to get past it. They feel unlovable because I have been there before. I know what it's like to have my failures constantly shout at me. And some of you know what that's like in the room right now. And you've been battling this. And you feel like if everyone else really knew who you were, they could never love you. If the people sitting around you in the room knew some of the things that you've done, they wouldn't even let you keep coming to this church. What do we do with this problem of failure because we can't change it. We can't go back. But the good news for you and I is that we have all these expectations, but God forms reality. He tells us what truth really is when it comes to our failures. We expect God to act in a certain way. We just know that this is exactly how he's going to treat us. Because I have did this again for the hundredth time, now God is truly going to give up on me. He's going to walk out on me. He's so tired of how I've been living. I don't know about you, but I have days where I feel like I'm getting more stuff wrong in my walk with God than I'm getting things right. And if I'm a pastor and I'm devoted my life and I'm living like this, I'm sure some of you guys feel the same exact way. But we form expectations. God forms reality. And we're going to see some really powerful truth in his word. 750 years before Jesus ever comes onto the scene, before he is born, there is a prophet named Hosea. And he is given this really difficult task by God. And we think it would be kind of cool to be a prophet, but they weren't just given the words of God. They often had to live in their prophecy. And Hosea was given a very difficult task. The story is so amazing. One theologian said, apart from the birth and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, this is the greatest love story in all of scripture. This shows God's love in such an amazing way. And we're going to be in Hosea chapter 1. And this is what it says in verse 2. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. This is Hosea's first big task. And I'm sure 
He went to God and he was like, God, are you sure this is what you want me to do? Can you give this to one of the other prophets maybe who's been around a little bit longer? Can I just tell the people that you just are really mad at them like all the other guys? Like, why do I get this one? But God tells him that it's so important that he lives this prophecy so his people can truly know what it's like when we are unfaithful to him. Because it breaks God's heart when we turn our back to him and we look to other things. And he doesn't choose a prostitute for no reason because as soon as we hear that word, there's something in us that gets uncomfortable. We get a little disturbed, right? And the reason why God chose this is so that the people of Israel and really the whole world and you guys sitting here today could know that nothing you have ever done is too far from the love of God. See, it's so easy to sit here and think my mistakes are too deep, they are too bad, and they are too dark. But this scripture is going to be for you if you think that you are too horrible of a sinner. God wanted you to know that his love is for you. So let's go to verse three. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diplam, and she conceived and bore him a son. Man, Gomer is a rough name. That's just a hard task to marry someone named Gomer to begin with, right? But he gets married to her. And I think Hosea starts to fall in love with her. It starts as a task from God, but now this relationship has formed. And they bore a son together. And, they, and it's just this amazing thing that has kind of taken place. You would think in a task like this, it would be like doing God's duty. But now he is fully in love with this woman. And some of you, when you first came to Christ, everything was really awesome. It felt like God was blessing everything that you did. Every time you opened up your Bible, it felt like God was speaking directly to you. And that's what we kind of see here. It's the beginning of their relationship. And it's amazing. And God is blessing it. And this is so important that we know this. Is before we came to Christ, we all had chains around our life. And these chains could never, ever be broken. We were a slave to our sin. And we all have addictions. And we all have problems that we were born with because we have a sinful nature inside of us. But that moment that you came to Christ, these chains no longer have any power over you. They are done with. Jesus has abolished them from having any control over your life. And this is so important to know about Gomer because she used to be Gomer the prostitute, but now she is Gomer Hosea's beloved. Her whole identity has changed. She's not who she used to be. And those of you that are in Christ, you are not your sin. You are not your failure. Those chains have fallen off and they no longer have any say over your life. You are now a son and daughter and you are God's beloved. And as we go on in this story, we find out that one day Gomer goes missing. She's gone. And I think Hosea looks throughout the whole house 
I think he goes into the nursery and he hopes to find his wife with his son in there. But all he finds is his son. I think he goes out into the backyard and checks the garden and he's hoping that she'll be there. But Gomer is nowhere to be found. I wonder where Gomer went. See, I think Hosea knew exactly where she was. And I think he is heartbroken. I think he is devastated by the loss of his wife. And I think he might have even been filled with a little bit of embarrassment. Here he is, this man of God, this prophet. And now his wife has left him. How would the people ever listen to him even after his wife had walked out on him? And so he's filled with so many different emotions. But I think the biggest one is heartbreak. And that's exactly what God feels every single time we walk out on him. Just complete devastation. And and we think he's angry. We think he's sitting up there going, I cannot believe they did this again. They are so messed up. They are so wrong. Don't they get that I love them? I don't think that's what God's feeling up in heaven. I think he's feeling heartbreak that you would wander away from him and try and find satisfaction in something else. What's so interesting to me is many people think that this scripture is only for people coming to Christ the first time. And they think that's kind of the representation that's happening here. But we know that this is for the Israelites and they were already God's people. Some of us in the room have been Christians a long time. And maybe things were really good with God at one point. But maybe they started to feel dry. And you walked away. And now because you walked away or you have this major failure that you committed, you feel completely unlovable because you used to be close with God. You feel like he could never truly take you back after what you have done. And if that's you, this scripture is fully for you. I wonder what it was that made Gomer leave. Scripture doesn't tell us. But if I had to take a guess, I would say her inner narrative kept reminding her of her failure. I think it probably whispered things to her, like you will never be free from that old lifestyle. People will always remember who you used to be. That son of yours, he's gonna be a failure just like you because of the things that you've done in your past. Maybe she heard something like, you don't deserve this new life that you are living in. How dare you pretend to be someone that you're not. And as I was writing this message, God put it on my heart that someone in this room has been telling yourself that same exact lie, that you don't deserve this new life that you've been trying to live in. And it is true that we don't deserve it, but it is God's free gift to us that we get to accept and live in. And I think what Gomer did is something that we do a lot. When we feel all of our failures being spoken over us, we put the chains back on. And I think God is up in heaven going, why are you putting those chains back on? They don't have any power over you. They've been defeated. But we go back to what we know. 
and we put them on. They can't come back onto us. We choose to place them back on our lives. And that is exactly what Gomer does. It's like we go back into a prison cell and the door has been busted open on the prison cell and we sit in it because we feel like we need to punish ourselves because we feel like we deserve what we've got. Some of you have been sitting in a dark prison cell with the door wide open for way too long and God is speaking to you to let go of this failure that you have been holding on for far too long. And this is what it says in Hosea chapter three now in verse one. The Lord said to me, go show love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love sacred raisin cakes. Man, God, I hate sacred raisin cakes for some reason. <laughs> Raisin cakes are just offerings to false gods. That's all that means there. But I'm sure Jose is like, God, are you serious? Like, this is actually what you want me to do? And I think God replies, yes, this is what I want you to do. I want the people to know how much I love them, even in the middle of their failure, even in the middle of their unfaithfulness. Go and find your wife. And I'm sure Hosea was a little bit confused at first. But I do think that there was a part of him that wanted to go back and win his wife again. And so he goes into town and he ends up going to the part of town where a man of God has no business going. And I'm sure he feels a little bit embarrassed. See, he was a popular figure in Israel. Everyone knew who he was. I wonder if some people walked up to him and said, Hosea, what are you doing here? And I wonder if he had to explain the story of how his wife had left him. Probably brought back a lot of memories of everything that he had recently been through. I wonder if he had to walk up to some people as he got deeper into town and still couldn't find her and say, hey, I don't know how to say this, but have you seen Gomer recently? And maybe the person just nods and says, sorry, Jose, I haven't seen her. And so he keeps looking and he's asking all these people and he finally finds someone and he says, hey, have you seen Gomer? And the guy looks at him and goes, oh, I'm so sorry, Jose. I thought you guys weren't a thing anymore. I saw her a couple of nights ago. She's down by the auction block right now. And Hosea makes his way out to what theologians say was a literal auction of people selling all kinds of good, not just people, but livestock. And he walks in, and there is his wife being sold. And I think he is just so brokenhearted as he sees her there. And I think Gomer sees Hosea. And she can't even look at him. I think she is just filled with tears as she sees him here. She's wondering why he would come down here and find him and find her after all that she has put him through. And we're going to pick up right now in verse 2. So I bought her back for 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of wine. 
Most theologians agree that this price was way beyond what he would have had to pay for her. But it didn't matter because this was his beloved and he would do anything for her. You know what I find so interesting about this? Is he has to buy back what is already his. Gomer was his wife, but he loved her so much it didn't matter what the price was. This is right about the time in the story where we look at Gomer and we say, man, she is such a mess. She has put this guy through so much. She is so unlovable. What a failure. Don't you get it? Aren't you seeing the picture that's being painted? You and I are Gomer. We've all gone astray. We've all looked at things and done things we shouldn't have done. And we have been unfaithful to our God. You and I are Gomer in the story. And Jesus is Hosea. We were already his. He made us. We are his creation and we all have walked away at one point or another. And he had to buy us back. But he didn't do it with some silver. He did it with his body. Because he didn't care what the cost would be. That's how much he loves you and I. Even in the middle of our failures and our brokenness. There he is willing to buy us back time and time again. Waiting for you to come back to him. See, some of us just have such a hard time believing this. But I think the next verse will help us a little bit more. This is what it says in verse three. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man. And I will behave the same way towards you. He was giving her a promise. What's really happening here is he's renewing her vows. He was giving her a chance to start all over again. And God is speaking to some of you. It's okay to start again. You can let go of that failure in your past. It doesn't define you anymore. See, if Jesus got up out of his grave, you can get up out of that grave that you have been stuck in for too long. That failure can't control you anymore. Those chains are on the ground and they are done with. He gives you permission to forgive yourself. And sometimes that can be the hardest person to forgive. Some of us, whenever we look in the mirror, we're just reminded of that failure. We can't get past it. But if Jesus forgives you, then you need to forgive yourself. If he says you can let it go, then you can truly let it go. And see, some of us just have such a hard time with that because we don't feel it, right? If I don't feel it, then it must not be true. But your feelings aren't always right. And every single time you tell yourself that you're not really forgiven or that your failure is too great, it's like you're setting yourself above what God says. And I know most of you don't believe that. If God says it, then it is true and it is all over his word. If you just open it up, you'll find so much hope that you can truly let go of the things in your past. Jesus quotes 
Hosea in Matthew chapter 9. And he is sitting down with a bunch of tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes. And he's just having a meal with them. He's talking with them. And the Pharisees come by. And they have such a hard time with him spending time with these people. And they say to his disciples, what's wrong with Jesus? Why does he continue to be close to these people who are so flawed? And Jesus overhears the conversation and he speaks directly to them. And he says, it's not the healthy that need a doctor. It's the sick. Go and learn what this means. And he quotes Hosea directly. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That is the new standard at which God would have us live for others and for ourselves. Mercy is the new requirement, so to speak. Because you can live in this. We have so many examples in Scripture. The whole Bible is basically a love story of people who kept God getting it wrong and God kept forgiving them. But you feel like you're an exception. No, mercy is his desire. And Jesus is able to make this statement that mercy is greater than sacrifice and it's greater than judgment because he knew there was a judgment coming. And on that judgment would be the sins of the entire world and they would be put on his body and he would carry that failure that you are so ashamed of and it would be nailed with him to that cross. But he didn't stay on that cross. They put him in a tomb, but he didn't stay in the tomb, and he rose again in victory. So you could be free from your failure, from that thing that you are so ashamed of. I hope you see how amazing God's love truly is for you. And for a moment, we're going to take what it seems like to be a turn, but I promise you it's not. So Jesus says to them that mercy is greater than sacrifice. And that is his new desire. And I think one of the reasons why some of us in the room have a hard time really believing that we're forgiven from our failures is because we've met other people in our past with condemnation, with judgment. And we feel like if we would forgive ourselves, then we would be a hypocrite because maybe our sin is worse than what they did and we treated them so poorly. Guys, this is how Jesus would have us act towards everyone. You can let go of the wrong things you did, even in judging people in your past. And maybe you can't make amends to that situation, but you can go to God and say, I'm so sorry, God, for how I treated that person. And I release them from what I said about them. Forgive me for the words that I spoke. And watch how it will be a little bit easier for you to forgive yourself and some of your failures. Here's what I really believe. Is that where there is radical mercy, revival is not far behind. Where there is radical mercy, miracles are found. Because for us to show mercy, Jesus has to be in those moments. Because it is so far from our human nature to treat people like this. But that is how 
he would have us act. If we really live this at a church, as a church, that new building that we're getting just a little bit down this road won't be able to handle all the people that will want to come and be a part of our church because they are desperately seeking some sort of hope. They are seeking mercy, someone that can release them from all the things that they have done in, in their past. And the only person that can do that is Jesus. Let mercy be the new desire of your heart and watch how God will change the world around you. I know what some of you are thinking right now. Joey, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. My sin is so deep. There's no way that God could truly forgive me. Don't you see this story? Hosea was willing to go to that part of town. There is no length, there is no depth of any pit that you are currently in tonight that Jesus won't jump in and pull you out of. That is what he does because he loves you so much. No one is too far gone. You cannot outsin this grace even if you tried. Because the cross is more powerful than any wrong thing that has ever been done. And that's why it deserves so much glory. That's why it deserves our praise. Is because we can never do anything that could take away even an ounce of its power. You are not too far gone. Jesus is seeking you tonight. He is waiting for you to turn around and lift up your hand so he can pull you out of that pit. God loves you because you are his, not because of your performance. And nothing in your past can change that. And no good thing that you've done makes him love you more. He just loves you because you're his child. Recently, my daughter Mila had gotten something stuck in her mouth and I knew I had to get it out. Normally that's mom's job, but mom wasn't home. And my daughter Mila always has a little song in her head. So as soon as I walked over, she started doing a little shimmy and she was happy that dad was coming over. And she uh, realized pretty quickly what was going on. And she tried to hide this tiny, tiny piece of plastic in her mouth. And I went in to go get it. And as soon as she realized that I, ha I had it and I was about to pull it out, she took her two little janky teeth and bit right into my finger. And it hurt so bad. But here's what I didn't do. I didn't take my daughter and say, I am so angry with you. I am so upset with you. I I'm just done with you. No, that little girl could bite me every day for the rest of her life. And that's kind of creepy. But you know what? <laughs> I would never stop loving her because she's mine, because she is the apple of my eye. And if I feel that way and I'm an earthly, sinful father, imagine what God, your heavenly father, feels about you. There's nothing you can do to change his mind. He is so in love with you. I think something that we all need to be reminded of is something that we hear all the time. And because we hear it all the time, we think it's not for us. Recently, I was on a trip um, with our youth group, and we had a guest speaker. And at the end of the service one night, he asked if he could pray for me. And I said, yeah, of course. And he started praying over me. And while he was praying, I, 
I was hoping that he was going to say, you know, God's going to do such amazing things through this youth group and you. But he said something that I desperately needed to hear, and I say it all the time to other people. He just told me that God is madly in love with you, and he's proud of you. And some of you just need to hear that, even though you've heard it a million times. Just for a moment, pretend it's just you and I in the room. Hear these words and let them penetrate your heart. God is so in love with you, and nothing could ever change that. Because when you get that you are Gomer and Jesus is your Hosea, there is nothing that you go through in this life that is too scary or too difficult because you know he will find you no matter where you go. He will be there fighting alongside of you because he loves you that much. You can change your inner narrative. You can let go of that failure. Here's the bottom line that I want you guys to remember. God's love is greater than your failure. His blood covers your life and washes your sins as far as the east is from the west. In every part of this series, we've been closing every message with reminding you the way that we change our inner narrative is by learning scripture and getting it into our hearts. A couple years ago, I went through a really hard time. My inner narrative was running wild and reminding me of some failures in my life. And no matter what I did, I couldn't get past it. I talked to people and they were speaking truth into my life and I still couldn't get past it. I, I would pray all the time and they were always my own words and it just felt like I wasn't getting anywhere. And I realized I had to go to war with my inner narrative. And I sat down with this book right here, my Bible, my computer, and I looked up verses for my situation. And I prayed them over my life twice a day for years. And I want to tell you that within the first year, within the first couple of months of praying them, that my inner narrative changed. But it, it didn't. And maybe for some of you in the room, as you apply God's word and you speak it over your life, he will break the chains right away. For some of you, that absolutely will happen. But God was doing something deep in my heart. He was working a grace and mercy that I would never forget. Something that I would be able to pour back on his children all the days of my life. And he knew that was going to take some time. And every single time I read these words, it felt like I was taking a sledgehammer to a brick wall. And sometimes the only way that I felt relief from some of my own thoughts was when I was reading scripture over my life. And eventually, that wall fell down. As day in and day out, I committed myself. And you know what? I'm not where I used to be. Those words don't have any more power over me. Yes, I still have bad days, and there's still some thoughts that pop back into my mind, but the words from this book are now in this heart. And every single time I hear something, I know exactly what to say, and I stand on God's word in those moments. And I could tell you some of the verses that are in here. 
But I think it will be so much more powerful if you decide that it's time to go to war. And when you get home, you write down some scripture that applies to your situation. And you pray it over your life as much as you need to. And I promise you, it is only a matter of time before God brings down the walls. Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you so much for all that you have done, God. We don't deserve an ounce of your mercy or your forgiveness or your grace, but you pour it on us anyway. God, thank you that there is truly no sin in this room that is too dark or too deep for you to forgive, that you wash us all clean. Thank you that you love us just because we're yours. Our worth is found in you and you alone, Jesus. I pray, God, for someone who is really struggling in this room right now, who feels like they cannot possibly get past their failures, that as we sing these next songs, God, your love would fall on them and sing a new song over their life, God. That you would let them know that you have put all their sins behind your back and you have dealt with them. And if you remember them not, then we do not need to hold on to them either. If you have never put your hope in Jesus before, I want to give you an opportunity right now. It's not the words that save you, it's the faith that you feel rising in your heart right now. And if that's you, you can just pray this silently in your mind, in your heart. Jesus, I believe that you are doing something in my life. I want to know your forgiveness. Would you be the savior of my life? I believe that you got on a cross and paid for my sin and rose again in victory. Would you guide me as I begin this journey with you? Just with every eye closed and no one looking around, if you prayed that prayer for the very first time, could you just look at me real quick just so I could be praying for you? we thank you for all that you are God and now we want to sing like the redeemed people who are forgiven people who are walking in a new life because you have given to us God we love you so much and we pray this all in your name